Okay, let's do this. You know we're brought to you, as always, by Belvedere. Produced in one of the world's longest-running distilleries, Belvedere Vodka is the world's finest all-natural vodka. Part of a 600-year Polish vodka-making tradition, Belvedere is made with 100% Polska-rye, pure water, and no additives. Remember to always drink responsibly. Now I feel like we actually know some stuff. Chris Long here on the Rosillo Podcast every single Monday throughout the NFL season. So we had breaking news this morning. Nothing like being fired at 5 a.m. Uh, so Jay Gruden out. We also have that amazing win by the Colts, the Pats defense. We've got some end tiers. We've got some different news things that we want to get to, the worst and best plane rides. Uh, but we want to start with something. Now that it feels like there is something a little bit more solid here, Chris. And that is the biggest headline, the biggest takeaway from this whole thing. I'm looking at that Packers win against Dallas. They're up 31-3 at one point. You could make an argument, and this is assuming a lot, but Green Bay could be 5-0. and They had that pick at the Philly three-yard line a couple weeks ago, and granted, I think that would have tied the game, so it's still a maybe. But a Green Bay team that looks like with Rodgers and LaFleur more on the same page, even though there was an amazing moment where LaFleur kind of looked at Rodgers on the sideline and had like, are you kidding me with this guy? So that's never going to be like perfect. Um, Aaron, uh, excuse me, Aaron Jones and them having a running game and him looking terrific. And although defensively they give up a lot of yards, if you look at some of the other metrics going into this week, they were top 10 in DVOA. Um, your boy, Zadarius Smith was a, was a beast again. And Rodgers is healthy. So the whole point that I'm making here is that this NFC North, this division, Chris, that it felt like not only was it the Bears, I think there were more people picking the Bears to be in the Super Bowl based on last year then actually had the Packers rebounding. And it was the most anti-Aaron Rodgers offseason that we've seen because you know he didn't play well, up to his standard at least. We hear about what a bad teammate is, all these different things. And now they're sitting there at 4-1, and one, and there's an argument to be made the Packers might be the best team in the NFC. Well, to, to your point, and I would agree, they should be in that conversation at the very least. To your point, week one, you go watch that game, uh, and they win 10-3 at Chicago. And everybody's talking about Chicago. And that's how reactionary we are, obviously. After last year, the headlines Chicago, when it really should be more about Green Bay and the guy that's been perennially the best quarterback in that division. So, uh, you know, LaFleur and him seem to be getting along. I know they had a little uh, sideline dust-up yesterday, if you even call it that. I yeah, think it wasn't some guys that, that bad. Right. No, yeah, I, you know, the way you described it, I didn't catch it. You were like, man, I don't know. Uh, it was I, just classic, listen, like, Roger said something. Lafleur walks away. Like, are you kidding me right now with this, this guy? fucking guy? Like this fucking guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which exactly. is that's a that's a good reaction for him to have. I, I don't I don't want to speculate, but I think the age gap and some of the other stuff, maybe personality wise, with him and McCarthy didn't work out. And yeah, A Rod's going to be. It's like all great artists and musicians. They're like a fucking pain in the ass to deal with sometimes. And I think Lafleur being younger and maybe more deferential. Uh, by product of uh, being younger uh, might be a nice, you know, you saw Kelsey and Bienemy last night. Kelsey shoved Bienemy. I don't know what the headline is going to be there, but I think that some people, and they're hugging two minutes later, I think some relationships can, um, you know, deal with conflict better than others. Listen, the Packers looked great last night. They used sweeps, they used eye candy, you know, stuff that slows the front down. They just pounded Dallas. And uh, adding that run game to A Rod's production, it's great. They beat Man a lot. 
Um, the, the thing I w- worry about them, you know, with is the run defense. And I don't know with your DVOA stuff how that factors in, but what do they say about the run defense? Because, you know, I'm just learning this analytical shit. But when I see them on film, you know, I watched them in the Denver game. I said before the Philly game, uh, if Philly pounds the ball, they're going to beat them. Now, I didn't think they'd beat them the way they beat them. I, I didn't think A-Rod would go off the way he did necessarily and and come up empty, I believe it was twice inside the low red with no points. So when that happens, you know, the result of the game, to your point, is skewed. They could be 5-0. and But I do worry about their run defense. Yeah, the run defense going in was 27th. And I was looking at some of the yardage stuff this morning, and it's bad. I mean, they give up a lot of yards on the sure. ground, but their pass defense is fifth. And yeah, going into this, and it's going to go up, and the yardage numbers has them, has them near the bottom. But I also think when you're up 31-3, and you start adding all the yardage that Dallas puts up in that game at that point when you're up 28 points. You know, I, I just yeah. my biggest takeaway of of the whole thing, and there's there's all these different things that we're gonna get to, but it's just the writing, the colossal just I shouldn't say colossal, collective writing off of Green Bay. That's my point. Like, do you Collect- think more people pick the Bears? Colossal. It's both. It's both. It's, it's the magnitude. A lot of C's. The magnitude yeah. of it and the sheer numbers. It's magnificent magnitude of writing these fucking guys off. And yeah, to your point, they're the class at this point of the NFC. I, I don't know I don't I don't know who you could make a case for currently as being better. The one team I you know, we can talk about this later, that I think when they get their pieces back is a tough out is the team down in New Orleans, as they've showed. Yeah, right. And Teddy Bridgewater has an unbelievable game. They bottle up of Jameis Winston who had had a really great start to the season although we should not dismiss the fact that right now your number one seeds in the AFC and NFC are the Pats and the Niners which would be an unbelievable Super Bowl Garoppolo oh, storylines <laughs> the storylines storyline overboard but Dallas on the other end like I I think and I haven't braved turning on the TV today um you know Stephen A's probably got a cowboy hat on which actually entertains the shit out of me um, he was trying to get Tomlin though, the Steelers. Uh, he was actually trying to get Tomlin the Redskins gig, like a Gruden type, a Raiders Gruden type deal for Tomlin with the Redskins. Man, I don't, I don't like that. Um, if we, <laughs> I think there's better hires in Washington. I don't think Tomlin's the type that's going to be uh, taking the backseat to that um, kind of dysfunctional situation there. But Dak's contract—that's a big one, right? After three weeks, we're saying like, shit, they should have paid him before the year because now look at him—he's coming back down to earth. He's he's you know, a fringe top 10 guy. He's a guy that can win you games with the right pieces around him. You bring in Cooper last year. He's got another 200-yard day. Uh, they outgained the Packers 560 to 335. I mean, like you said, a lot of garbage yardage. Um, but I'm not worried about the Cowboys in the long term. I think that they're, they had a preseason over three weeks where they were essentially playing on air by product of the, their opponents, and they run into two good, good teams. I have a quick thing on the Dak contract, though, because I'm glad you brought that up. Because when Dak lit it up the first couple of weeks, it's like, man, they should have done that deal. Or, you know, Dallas is going to pay for that. And now mm-hmm. that he's regressed, as you pointed out, just playing better teams, it's like, man, look at all that money he lost him. I, I don't know that it was ever that different. It's kind of like when Flacco hadn't done his extension and they won the Super Bowl and everybody acted like he got all this extra money. He was probably mm-hmm. going to make close to what he signed for. Quarterback contracts, I know it sounds crazy, folks. It almost has less to do with what you're actually doing and it has more to do with are you a guy that can have this position for 10 years and are you the most recent signing and that's basically and look, yeah Russ, it's the timing 
It's it's right. recency and it's the timing. And I think one thing that Dak does, and and this cannot be discounted. I know this has become a talking point in Dallas is his leadership and his toughness uh, and his competitiveness are you know second to none. He's not going to be a guy who can win games single handedly routinely. But with the pieces they put around him, I think they figure this thing out late in the year. Remember, they got a new coordinator. They're growing. Uh, they'll be in the mix. Right, because right now your top average annual salary quarterbacks are Russell Wilson at 35, Roethlisberger at 34, Rodgers at 33, Goff at 33-5. And then you start looking at the difference in guarantees where Goff is is below all those other dudes. Um, and then you have you know the massive guarantees. But like, hey, when Matt Ryan signed, when Stafford signed, when Wilson signed, when Dak signs, he's going to be making close to $35 million a year. And that's even trying to put yourself in front of what the new TV contract stuff's going to be. All right, so that's what my you, biggest what do you think headline. about it? What do you... What do you think about a separate cap for quarterbacks? Um, I don't think it's really necessary. I, I really don't. Yeah. You know, I mean, most of these guys aren't taking discounts, except for Brady, yeah. whatever the hell that discount is. So yeah. all these teams have been able to figure this thing out. Why? Do you think there should be one? Well, I just think at a point, uh, quarterbacks should be treated differently from a positional standpoint when it comes to compensating these guys because – We've seen countless examples of these teams kind of dumping um, the entire thing into these QBs and not being able to build around them and getting stuck in in bad spots. So uh, I think there might be something to at some point re- re- rethinking or reshuffling the way they do the cap. Yeah, I mean, maybe they could do something where it's like, hey, you actually don't, you can only count this much against the cap. But I, I just feel like there's unintended consequences where that kind of thing where then all of a sudden slippery slope mean, slippery slope yeah no, we still don't know how to talk about separate cap numbers for quarterbacks okay it's so that's my headline the packers what are you going with i mean atlanta this implosion man um you know dan quinn his seat is obviously hot uh but they're not talking that way arthur blank saying we're not going to panic uh i think Bob's it's time furniture to panic hot? Yeah, it's Bob's Furniture Hot, which which was brilliant. Uh, you know, the the Gruden pregame show. They have a a Bob's Furniture uh, discount furniture. Don't remember. Don't forget discount furniture. Uh, hot hot seat, and uh, they stopped using it as his seat got hot, and they started calling it the Bob's Furniture uh, segment. So, note to self: don't have a hot seat uh, segment on your your coaching show if you're presumably going to be on the hot seat. Anyways, I think I think Quinn you know, it's, it's, it's time to talk about moving on because you look at them, you, I kind of went back and I say in 16, they're in the Super Bowl in, 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 you know, in the playoffs in 17 and they're up 28 to three against the Pats. And is there a moment there where shit started, uh, going South? I think, you know, everybody points to Shanahan and if Shanahan runs the ball on that one possession, even with the way Atlanta has fell apart, defensively especially Shanahan's eventually going to get a head coaching job I mean he was he was told he had to move on he was going to be fired he ends up in San Francisco so Dan Quinn a defensive head coach since that time who was obviously a great coordinator in Seattle in 13 and 14 we think has been uh he's engineered a bottom third defense over a period of three four years even in that Super Bowl year where they had the seventh best output offensively in the history of the game, they're a bottom third defense. And the defense is the reason, up 28-3, they can't come up with a Super Bowl. 
And so that might extend his lifespan in Atlanta at this point, but we're still going to have to deal with the elephant in the room, which is you're a defensive head coach and your defense sucks. Yeah, it's almost like the Billick thing with Baltimore where he's brought in as this offensive mind from the Vikings and then <laughs> it's maybe the greatest defense we've ever seen, which we're going to get to in a little bit here with this Pats run. But um, it's going to be incredibly frustrating. By the way, when you guys were were going up against Atlanta, what were you saying about what they were doing on the side? Like, were you, would you guys get off I the didn't field know. being like, I didn't know what was going on. I'm staring down the barrel of losing um, a Super Bowl in blowout fashion after basically coming to New England as a mercenary to try to win a Super Bowl after eight losing seasons. I'm like, you know, I just, if they're football gods, they don't like me. Uh, <laughs> so, I listen, you know, the team now is extremely undisciplined. They're towards the, the bottom of the league in being penalized. The defense has been bad, and at times you don't understand why. I mean, like, they have a good piece at each level of their defense. They have Jarrett, they have Jones, they had Neal, whose injuries, obviously, the past couple years have been big. Uh, they hold the Eagles to 20 points, and then they fall apart. The next game, Neal is out with an Achilles. It's a little bit curious to me. I mean, they have some of the personnel. They draft Tack and Beasley, and you could argue these these picks haven't necessarily panned out, but I don't mind the guys. They have strengths and weaknesses. You know, when he took the play calling range from Manuel, this was it. He had to cash in and, and the defense had to be better and they failed. They gave up 600 yards to the Texans, 53 points, and they're one and four for the second time in two years. Last year they went seven and nine um, and they've just been bad defensively. So anybody that says it can't be defensive head coaches in the league, uh, I would argue that Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, even Matt Patricia at this point, uh, McDermott, guys like that would like to have a word. Zimmer. Um, but if you're going to be a defensive head coach, your defense kind of has to be good. Breaking news this morning. Have you ever been fired from a job? Is it the same as I've getting waived? Yeah. Does that feel the same? Well, I think you know it's coming, whether you're Jay Gruden or Chris Long coming off two, two IR years. Uh, you know it might be coming. Jeff Fisher was really cool about firing me. He called me in the middle of the day. Uh, I'm generally telephobic, but I knew what it was about, and it was time to move on. So I picked up two rings. Uh, just driving two down rings. the street and two rings. I didn't even because I I like talking to fish even if he's gonna be, about to send your ass packing. Uh, you were he's jogging. Just, he's, no, I was. If he's about to send your ass packing, I'm gonna like. I just enjoy talking to fish. It's not gonna stop me from picking up the phone. Like, oh, why is Coach Fisher calling me? Oh, he he's gonna cut me. Uh, fuck. I mean, five a.m. That's so dirty. And you know, when I ask you if you've been fired, obviously I know your history long enough to be you know, whatever it was at the end of the Eagles, you basically moving on from New England. And then when you get cut and talking to you that off season, but you've never had like a delivery job or you never like had a paint or no. anything. Have you had no, a I, real? I worked as a Mason. I worked as a Mason when I was in high school to pay for my, all my Chrome accessories on my F-150, <laughs> like Chrome door handles, Chrome brush guards. I had the Ford sticker on the back of my F-150 that had the lady laying on it, you know, like the emblem, like the three-foot sticker. I what did Howie say about Chrome. all your... What did he say about all your chrome? Was, was he like? I don't think he minded event? as long as my ass was going to work, and I was working masonry for Krutoff Masonry. We did a couple pools, um, and I was the grunt work guy. I was like kind of training for for football and lifting large slabs of of rock and. Uh, I moved on from that job just like I did the New England and the and the Philly job. So I've only been fired once, and that was with the Rams. Okay, so all right, so back to getting cut by fish. I mean, it was cool. It's a 
you walk out of there and you're like, or you get off the phone and you're like, did I just get cut? Because I feel pretty good right now. I mean, he was, he was really cool about it. He's like, hey, buddy, what you up to? I can't, yeah, I'm not great with the fish voice. <laughs> hey. But, uh, you know, there's you know 10 seconds of... There's 10 seconds of small talk, which I hate small talk on the phone. Like when you're calling and there's a reason you're calling, I want to know why. And I don't want a 15 minute lead in. He hit me with 10 seconds of small talk. And then in one sentence, he let me know that he was moving on from me and James Laronitis. And I said, he started to apologize. I said, don't, don't apologize. It's okay. I'm good. I'm going to go win two Super Bowls and we'll still be friends and we'll still talk on the phone, probably go fishing. Go to the garden bar. He likes to go to the garden bar in, in Montana. He likes so. the garden bar. Yeah. that's a, I could see him liking that spot. Who wouldn't like that spot? Okay, so Gruden's out at 5 a.m. I'll give you a little, little lead into this, okay? Because this felt not just nasty, but it's Dan Snyder. I don't know that I've ever – you know what's really impossible? I almost feel like no matter who the person is, there'll be somebody that's like, yeah, but if you got to know him or, hey – you know, here's here's what you don't know about Dan. Nobody. I mean, his approval rating is as low as anybody. And this has been going on a long time. They bring him in at five. I don't know if it was because of these these Saratoga videos that released this weekend, which, you know, apparently they were really old. And we know the guys from Barstool yeah, had said they, we'd had these for a while, but we just didn't want to release them because, you know, some guy sticking a camera. And look, he was just sitting there firing a dart. I don't know if that was that was. Was that a dart or was it dope? I don't know. He had a weird hold on it. <laughs> But I'm just going to, I don't, look, I just don't like this Let's stuff. Let's assume with these guys. it's a dart. I don't want to speculate. Exactly. Exactly. So it's a dart. He's taking a seat. You know, he's tired. Which is way um, worse than a J. Right. Yeah. No, the, the science would tell you that. But is, is J actually, I don't know. Are people looking at this? Like the Snyder part of it is such an overwhelming part of the story. But is Jay Gruden actually a good coach? I don't think I don't know if he's a good coach. I don't know that he's a bad coach either. I mean, when you read the tweets that former players sent out uh, in Washington, the recurring theme was it's not about the head coach. There's a lot more going on here, and they weren't necessarily standing on the table for Gruden. But Snyder hires, um, you know, if you look at guys like Schottenheimer, Spurrier, um, Gibbs, Shanahan. Gruden was one of the guys that kind of came out of it okay when you look at all things considered. Schottenheimer went 8-8, eight and eight, um, fired after one year, which is asinine because his last two stops, he went 192 and 118 and made the playoffs after his first season um, in both stops. Spurrier and Zorn, kind of college guys or assistants. Um, and then Gibbs, who in his first run had three Super Bowls in Washington, went 30-34. and 34. Shanahan went 24-40 and 40 after two Super Bowls in Denver. Gruden went 35, 49, and 1. And if not for Alex Smith, this bridge job that he'd been doing with Alex might have just worked out. I don't know if they'd be bad enough to get one of these top picks next next year. But here's the implication. Uh, how are they going to finish? Is Callahan going to be smart enough? And are the Redskins not going to screw this up? Are they going to be smart enough to suck the rest of the year? I think they're going to suck, okay? I don't know if it's because they're smart enough to do it. But I've... Agreed with you as we were talking their roster a little bit earlier this morning. There's a couple guys on that defensive roster where you go, you know, I like this. But whether it's Bruce Allen being brought in that we thought in the past, like, okay, you know, look, his track record appears to be good here. And now his track record with the Redskins has been awful. When you look at the draft and then who and who has it, like the percentage of guys that actually got a second contract in this league, it's brutal. Um, we know Snyder's part of this. And you know, if you're coming into this, does this mean you have to make Haskins work? 
because as much as I've admitted, like, I don't know when I watch on Saturdays, I'm, I'm less sure than I've ever been of the guys on Saturday and what they're going to be like on Sunday. There's an argument to be made for and against Haskins. And I don't know if Snyder thought because he was a local kid or, or what it was, but I'm sure, you know, there's, there's probably a handful of coaches that'll want the job no matter what to be a head coach. There's probably another handful of guys that actually believe in Haskins. And I'm sure there's some guys that are probably the next guy up to get that head coaching gig. It's like, I don't want to be married to Haskins for the next two years. Well, here's the problem when you're looking for a new head coach and you've got this dysfunctional controlling situation and it's a job that nobody might want. I mean, the Dolphins job was a job that you'd say like most people were like, ah, eh, not a lot of pieces here. Uh, and it's a it's a blow up job because they famously stopped uh, spending in in uh, free agency and said we're going to build through the draft. I think the dysfunction in Washington reeks enough that it's not a a preferable destination for most coaches. Now, there's going to be a lot of coaches who are more willing to be controlled and just want to impulsively get their first head coaching job, and you can't blame them. you got to cash in. Right. But for the good ones, you have to look at and evaluate, do you want Haskins as your quarterback of the future? I think if they're smart, and if it were me, nothing against Haskins, I think Haskins ends up being Josh Rosen 2.0. And that's not an indictment on him. It's more of an indictment on what's coming up in the next draft, and that's Herbert and Tua. So you're looking at that and you're like, ah, oh, man, I mean, I'm not shitting on Haskins saying this, but you probably would rather have those two guys on upside alone. And what does that take? Well, it takes a new coach being able to come in and speak for himself enough to say, we need to be in a position where we can draft these two guys. And this is what we're going to do. And we're going to try to dump Haskins for a pick. Uh, you got to blow things up. From a standpoint of there's guys like Trent Williams who would the Patriots for one would love to have. You dump him, get him, get what you can for him. You've got nice pieces on the D line. You got McLaren, you got the tight end. Uh they'll look at guys like Bienemy and Stefanski. I think Bienemy would be more the right hire, but I gotta feel like they're gonna go with Stefanski or somebody like that. And I don't think they I don't think they come out of this, you know, seeing the value of their opportunity. Are you talking Jordan Reed when you're talking tight end? Yep. Okay, I'm just double checking because I, I just I feel like there's so much with him where I know how talented he is, but I feel like people talk. I, mean, I know you're not doing this, but everybody talks about him because he's such an awesome fantasy option. But he isn't. He's just he's just not healthy. He's had these these issues. So I don't I don't know if I count him on that. But I think what you said about Haskins is totally fair. Shitting on Haskins would say, "Hey, this guy sucks. He's never going to play." What you're saying is this is already a disastrous situation to be kind of launched into. And if Gruden didn't want to play Haskins because he wasn't ready, I'm actually going to side with Gruden on that one because even though you know everybody's like, "Hey, let's get these guys, let's get them to play." All of them play way earlier. You know, when when Shermer says, "Hey, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Daniel Jones." Like, who cares? Who cares what the head coach says in August about when the rookie quarterback is or isn't going to start? It doesn't really and matter. And why are we but even asking the question? We know we're not going to get anything true to. or of value. It's well, just that's fishing. the tug. Right. Yeah. I, I that's, get that. That's the but, tug. Exactly. Everybody knows that's the tug. <laughs> but if if you're sitting around watching them play awful and then saying, well, let's just put Haskins in and that solves all the problems. Then the head coach is like, you guys aren't in here. You're not in here. You're not going through practice. You're not sitting in the room. And maybe Gruden was wrong about it. What Gruden was wrong about, though, and I, and I feel pretty comfortable saying this, is that Gruden was so anti-Haskins before the draft. And then once he knew that it was Snyder's guy and then apparently Bruce Allen to make sure he never loses his job, whether Bruce liked him or just agreed with Snyder, and that there's there's plenty of people out there who will tell you that Jay leaked the pick to people, hoping there'd be enough public backlash to then change the mind of the guys making the actual pick. And if I've Pretty heard wild. that, right, if I've heard that and I heard it back in August and I've 
since seen the rumblings of it kind of being picked up the last couple of days, then I'm sure those guys have heard about it. And I'm sure that has something to do with, hey, why don't you meet us at 5 a.m.? What if you were Jay and said, well, the, the, the can we Washington, make it 7? Yeah, I mean, like, I would have said make it 7. But honestly, Jay seems like the type of guy, and I really respect this, that could get fired at 5 a.m. and take a solid three-hour nap at 7. I mean, just go get a nice breakfast. Not like we'll worry about that shit later. I'm gonna pass out for three hours because I know I would. I probably wouldn't take the meeting at five a.m. You got to be kidding. This whole thing is so dysfunctional. It's like kind of an any given Sunday vibe, but without the winning. I mean, you've got your boy Gruden leaking the pick. Uh, you've got you know him trying to block the Haskins thing. You've got him at odds with them about AP. Um, you know he's been at odds with that front office. It seems like since he's gotten there. And uh, he almost had the right idea at times, if it's not for that Alex Smith injury. I think he'd have at least extended his life in mediocrity in uh, in in Washington. All right, I think we did enough on that. Um, yeah, is the, there now? This is the safe to say we won't talk about the Redskins as much the rest of the year. Probably not. Okay, here's here's a question for you though. They love this on television. Did the Colts provide the blueprint? on how to beat the Chiefs? Well, if the blueprint is the Chiefs having being down two offensive linemen, two D linemen, two receivers, uh, am I missing anybody else? Uh, Mahomes, and Mahomes ankle. being dinged. Yeah, Mahomes being dinged, missing a lot of open receivers, which he's done more so lately this year. Um, sure, they had the blueprint. Now, there's one thing they do have the blueprint on, which is time of possession and pounding the ball. Sounds Sounds good. But you need Kansas City's offense to be off a tick for that to be um, successful. I think Frank Wright looked at the playoff game. This is less than a year ago. And I think the the Chiefs doubled the time of possession that the Colts had. And I think uh, Mack only had 14 carries. He had a career high in carries yesterday. And, uh, and they dominated time of possession in the second half. Pretty unbelievable. That's a great win uh, because, you know, the counter to the Chiefs losing those guys in the game. And once Chris Jones goes out at D-tackle for Kansas City, you could see the game kind of change, not just that they were running it right at him because they weren't. They did it on that that one big drive where they ran it the whole time, but some of those other third and short situations, Reich was still doing some stuff and going, hey, I'm not going to be totally obvious and go behind our center and Quentin Nelson. But the counter, if I'm a Colts fan right now, is like, look, we're out Leonard. Malik Hooker didn't play. They had that rookie yep. safety in who made that great hit at the opposite goal line. I think that was on McCoy's. He was trying to get through. So I look at that win and go, Colts, great win. And you still went in there in Kansas City. The blueprint thing is a joke, but is it harder yeah. on the fly? Like, what's harder? Having a guy out all week and knowing you're going into the game without those guys or losing guys on the fly like Kansas City did? Because I know what my answer would be, but I never played, so. I think it's losing guys on the fly. I really do, especially at the quarterback position, which is why, you know, I think if New Orleans goes to L.A. with Bridgewater and snaps all week in a game plan, they might win that game the way things look. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned it. Leonard, Hooker out. Um, we've got you, – you mentioned a Tug earlier. We've mentioned Hooker. Uh, so uh, – Riled up on a you Monday. Know, yeah, we're dialed up. Houston has a nice game, and that's kind of that's kind of um, an interesting twist. Considering part of the problem for Kansas City this year has been the pass rush hasn't been there. Um, although I really like Frank Clark, he needs pieces around him. Um, you know, 
they gave up 180 on the, on the ground. Uh, they only had 36 on the ground from a Kansas City standpoint. So I don't think it's the blueprint, but I do think it's a situation where you have to be concerned if Mahomes has an off day and they're in a game that's in phase. That's a big deal. The Chiefs have given up over 100 yards to one rusher three times this year, and that's not good for a team that has the lead a lot because you would think the opposite. You know, if a team is down a lot, that number could be skewed. But if they're up, you would think teams aren't running the ball as much. Three running backs over 100 yards this year. They got to put the fire out in the run game. They're giving up 150 yards and six, six a carry. I mean, that's going to get in the playoffs. That's going to get real. I mean, it's, 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 it's going to be a real issue. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly way more pro Colts. And as you said, think about your boy, Frank, Wright. Like now, like every week, you've been really good on a couple things here. Not to say you've been bad on other stuff, but for them to lose. I've been Andrew bad on Luck, some stuff. I no, gave but, up on Jameis Winston. I thought Kirk Cousins, I said, throw out everything, <laughs> anything you remember about Kirk Cousins. This is my bold prediction. It's going to be different. Actually, Fuck, the Jameis thing's coming back your way now. I mean, he was. Yeah, well, were, I did make the pick brutal. and I stuck with him. So. So when I think about Reich and what that team went through, hey, by the way, like, and it was making the rounds, like, go back to last year. Hey, Josh McDaniels, you're going to be the coach. I'm going to have a meeting with the Patriots and I'm going to say no. Okay, I guess we'll go with this Frank Reich guy. And then they figure some stuff out with Andrew Luck. And now they actually have the talent at the offensive line that would have been able to protect him. And then a week before the season, or you no, know, it was a couple of weeks. I don't know. He's yeah, it was actually pretty much like a week before, or ten days, something like that. He's like, all right, I'm out of here. And then you said, you know, Jacoby was actually really impressive practice squad stuff. And I was like, we'll see, we'll see. And he's been the way he carries himself. You know, it's not always about the 300 yards. It's not always about the biggest throws and the whole complement of everything they do. I don't care. You go into Kansas City a night game with the way that place feels about itself as a franchise, even with their injuries throughout the whole thing. It's just an incredibly impressive win. And that would be my best plane. The best plane ride of the weekend has to be the Colts leaving Kansas City, even though it it's has a short to flight. be. And it, it has it has to be in the conversation. Night. I have a better one. Um, yeah, well, the night part that kind of sucks. So when you finish a game late, like you're not going to sleep. So like you're you're going to be awake, and you probably they probably have meetings at like nine a.m. this morning. They might be meeting right now. It's really does anyone sucks. go out? Does any like do some of the younger guys? No, there's no time. Like you're in Kansas City, the game ends at midnight. You're not gonna get on the plane probably. If a game ends at midnight, you're not gonna be on the plane till two thirty three a.m. That's how long it takes to load up the plane and get going. What about late night land. spots though for celebrities? In Indy, in Nap City, uh, Nap Town. I would just say, I would just say Mike this. And Jonesy's? Though, uh, I would table? just say this, <laughs> bro. I came out there for the Super Bowl, and uh, they actually did a good job. So I don't want to shit on Indianapolis. No, they did. Just don't... It was the easiest Super Bowl navigation in the history of Super Bowls. Yeah, I mean the the weather not ideal. You know the architecture not my my cup of tea, but uh, but they did a good job. And I would say your point about Frank Reich and hitting the curveball from a coaching standpoint, and then hitting a curveball from the Andrew Luck standpoint. They're mirroring each other a little bit. And Jacoby, yeah, he's not hes not a guy who's going to go out and, and carry a team every week, but he's a guy that, with the help of Frank, knows which games to manage and which games to go win. And yesterday was a game that he had to manage, and that was the game plan. Best plane ride for me is probably Arizona over uh, Bronco, Broncos, two winless teams. 
first uh, first win, I'm going to give it to Arizona because uh, they're building and they know it. Yeah, those are good ones. Those are good. Just shitting on the architecture of Indianapolis, though. I just that. What about that little roundabout? And then that uh, they have a roundabout. Is that kind of like the the place? in is that in France with the big arch building and the big circle? What's that? You travel a lot. The Arc de Triomphe. That's is that what that is? Yeah. See, you're cultured. You know, like that's no, one of should, the downsides. That's, that's not that to getting that's married. That I don't travel as much. Okay. Hey, I was looking at I was looking at Sturgill Simpson's um, schedule, and he's playing in like Dublin. I'm seeing Sturgill Simpson tonight. Are you serious? Coincidentally, yes. Okay. Well, we'll table that back because now I've been I've been a yeah. big fan for about two weeks, and I'm pretty excited. Well, that's good. About hey, it. you and a bunch of other people. I hate being like the guy who's like, I like this music first, so I'm not going to do that. Welcome aboard, everybody. <laughs> All right. Um, so those are the best plane rides. What's the worst? Worst. Worst is Jerry Jones' private jet back to his his house. Golly, yeah, probably his house is like. Ways has it at forty five minutes, but he's he's up and down in a helicopter or a Lear or some shit in like seven minutes. You think he just takes unnecessary short private flights? <laughs> that's gonna I mean, be I'm a sure helicopter. He some... What's the worst helicopter ride of of the week? Um, well, I know the uh, the worst plane ride. I just talked to my brother. He's he's uh he's over Greenland only right one. now. Are you yeah, serious? It's Chicago. Okay. So just take it away because Chicago losing that way to the Raiders in London, there's no other, there's no other team in the conversation. No, dude. I mean, like that flight just sucks in general. You, if you look at the flight map from Europe to like back to America, it gives you anxiety because they don't do it in a straight line. And I know what the way the globe, the globe works. It's not necessarily like that, but you fly like in a big half circle up above a bunch of places that if you had to ha make an emergency landing, you'd pretty much be fucked. So it's like you're anxious because of the game. It's a long flight, strong headwind probably, um, and just a bad loss for the Bears. Turbulence, a lot of turbulence up there. I've had many sleepless nights on that Europe flight. Huh, man, yeah, I... Uh... I don't know that I've been above. I'm sure when I flew to Dublin, when I flew back from Dublin, I was probably, you know, cresting the lower sounds of of Reykjavik and and yeah, whatnot. Reykjavik. Yeah. yeah, you do well. I ate Reykjavik. two Lunestas. I ate two Lunestas on the way back from London once to try to fall asleep after we lost the Patriots, um, and I actually chewed them so I could make sure that they were really effective. <laughs> And, and everybody on the plane is snoring but me and I'm just slightly high and I'm talking to the flight attendants for six and a half hours after a loss. It was awful. So I know that 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 flight had to be bad and the game was the game was bad. Okay. Um that sounds like a scene though to Broken Arrow Two, where it's the son <laughs> of and he's just So what am, just, what am I doing? I lost my dad. My dad got kicked out of a fucking um train over a gorge by christian slater which is emasculating as hell yeah but that broken arrow money was good once christmas started rolling around it's still good i go my dad's always parading these little royalty checks around to me like you know 1575 this week you know they showed it on 
what do they show it on nowadays? I talk to people who think Broken Arrow is a good movie. Anyways, I watched um, it recently. Two weeks ago, I watched Broken Arrow. And his scene at the end with Travolta when he's in the back of the Jeep, and he's like, yeah, and he's so on board yeah. with Travolta's vision. I mean, it's mm -hmm. hard because Travolta's a scene stealer, but as I've become closer with Howie, I don't know that I'm ready to talk about that scene with him yet. <laughs> it might be a couple more well, visits. Travolta is a scene, a scene stealer, and my dad, um, my dad was up and coming in the biz. He walked away early. He did. He was the Andrew Luck of, of action heroes. Okay, yeah, are you ready? He broke, his he broke his ribs doing Firestorm running down the dock. You know that epic scene where he's running down the dock with the axe about to jump under a rowboat and, and you know, get under the rowboat and survive the firestorm that's coming over this, this, this Arctic lake up in Canada. He went to throw the axe and slipped. It was an icy dock and it landed on his ribs. He broke like multiple ribs. So he is a little bit like the Andrew Luck. I mean, that was one of his last films. He had had enough. That's amazing because also there was torso issues with luck and I wasn't even bringing up those ribs from that rowboat scene. Oh my God. I ran into a guy though that lived next door to you dudes apparently when your dad was down in Redondo and hmm. he was like, oh, do you know them? I'm like, yep. Every Monday, that's the podcast. And he's like, yeah, the dad. He's like, geez. And I'm like, yeah. Like, where are we yeah, going? Tell here? me about him. <laughs> yeah. Square jaw. Like, looks young. Right, right. He goes, he, he'd be outside all the time washing his, his land cruiser. And he's like, his shirt would be off. And it was just like, you know, people couldn't believe. He goes, <laughs> but, he goes, then they filled the jacuzzi with sand in the back for the kids. Do you remember that? Oh, we had a sandbox? No. So we actually had a no, so we didn't have a sandbox. We had a jacuzzi filled with sand. I'm telling people, back in the day, players didn't make as much money. So everybody called me soft for growing up as the son of a Hall of Famer. I would like to put an asterisk next to that claim and say that we had a jacuzzi filled with sand. I know we had a jacuzzi, but I mean, that's pretty, whatever we want to call it. it it's, it's bootleg. Uh, and, it's bootleg. And my okay, house was... We also lived in a haunted house in Redondo. Swear to God, well, there was a poltergeist in there. Hopefully things pick used up to for you guys. used to talk to like ima imaginary people in the house. My mom tells me about it. Anyways. Okay, a little bit more from Chris and I here. But first, I want to remind you about Belvedere. Produced in one of the world's longest running distilleries, Belvedere Vodka is the world's finest all-natural vodka. Part of a 600-year Polish vodka-making tradition, Belvedere is made with 100% Polska rye, pure water, and no additives somebody ordered me a belvedere and soda the other day it was tasty as you can imagine and they put a lime in it and, you know i went hey is it, is it cool if i grab a lemon there i don't care if people go what are you 21 in a pie fi or an alpha chi or a theta i don't want to leave any of them out I said no i'm uh i'm none of those things i'm just a guy that likes a lemon instead so i still had the lime in my hand and i patiently waited until i had an opening through the zone defense of bartenders and busboys and barbacks and all that stuff where I was like, I'm standing here and it's, I want to get rid of this lime. I don't want to hold this lime. I don't want a bunch of fruit in my cup here. This isn't sangria. And I just waited until I, I saw the throw and I chucked the lime from about three people deep from the bar over the bar to a back little hallway leading to the exit of the bar area with a little narrow garbage can and it's seriously one of the coolest things i've done in months nice so remember to always drink responsibly
Okay, every week uh, we're doing it, the irresponsible question of the week. Shaq, let's just say that a uh, snake bit your mom right up here, right in the chest area. Would you be willing to suck the venom out to win the title? No, but I will with your wife. (laughs) (laughs) I actually like coming up with these, and we kind of know they're stupid as we do it. But here it is. This week's question, is there any way we'll look back at the Khalil Mack trade and think the Raiders actually won it? Well, gosh, I mean, we've gotten so out ahead of ourselves with the, uh, I think I think it was the perfect storm for people to judge this thing right off the bat. And that was, you've got Gruden, who's a meme. Um, you've got Khalil Mack, who's magnetic for people watching and you want to ship him for a bunch of picks. And uh, the Raiders are kind of like Washington. People expect them to be dysfunctional. So every move is going to be dysfunctional. Um I will say this, it's early to say the Bears won it um, because it's a win-now move. And so when you make a win-now move, you kind of have to win now. And my sus- my suspicion that it might be incomplete in the way we grade the trade is that if you don't have a franchise quarterback who can win you games, even with that defense, it's all for naught. And yesterday, the way Gruden's team played against the team that he shipped Khalil Mack, too, who's been on a tear over the past year and a half and hasn't been able to get them over the hump, even playing like, you know, on 100 out of 100, that's kind of the point. You've maximized what you can get out of Khalil Mack, and you're not quite over the hump. So the Mack deal, just to revisit, they ended up with an extra first this year that was Josh Jacobs. It actually wasn't that high, and there's some revisionist history on this that the Packers were in on Mack and that the Raiders thought, you know what, the Bears are worse, so there's a better chance that that pick is going to be higher if we do the Chicago deal, and that deal ended up not being that high at all because Chicago had the great regular season last year. So they get the extra 2019 first, the 2020 first they'll get. They get another third um, in next year's draft as well, and then the 2019 sixth they'd already moved in another deal. Chicago actually gets back a second rounder. So when all that deal goes down and we're watching, like Aaron Donald is in his own thing, but if you want to start, if you had to invite a second guy to that Aaron, Aaron Donald tier or whatever it is defensively, yeah, like that's what it's felt like from Khalil. You correct me on that. I'm sure there's a couple guys. That no, you have it's in the Khalil. Back of your head. Yeah, right. No, it's Khalil. It's it's Khalil. However you want to slice it, they're two different positions, so it's hard. But they're two guys who are generational, and you know, Mac left. Uh, obviously there's a bunch of fun stats about they haven't had sacks, you know, Max had, you know, X amount of hits, pressure sacks, you know, juxtaposed to the Raiders, lack of production, all that. But I feel like all the shit Gruden's taken this year, the Raiders have beat three teams, two of which we talk about in positive lights. And that's, uh, the bears and the Colts. Uh, we talk about the bears positively sometimes, and they beat a winless Bronco team, Broncos team, who's now got a win and has looked capable in some games so AFC wildcard picture included I think that you know this means something for the Raiders but it means something for John Gruden because as you look at yesterday you've got his draft pick from the first year in uh in the kid from Michigan that looks really good the Hurst the tackle Crosby has a sack who I really like uh he's he's one of this year's draft picks he was Uh, the white kid from uh, Hard Knocks the white kid the WDE was he cool on Hard Knocks yeah, he just, I mean, he just seemed like a meathead, but that's the position, and that, I'm not. We like that. You got to play it up. Yeah, that, that that's a compliment. I'm not knocking him on it. He's a yeah. young kid. He broke his hand. He was pissed. He's like, wrap this thing up and let me get back out there. So, 
Yeah, well, he's a, he's a WDE. And so, you know, you get your 24th pick uh, that you got out of the draft. Ironically, he went off yesterday. Jacobs went off and really opened up some questions about you talk about the stupid blueprint thing. Is there a blueprint thing there with Chicago? I don't I don't think there is. Uh, he went for 26 for 123. And uh, I think Chicago had a little bit of a hangover, which can be cliche, but when you're flying halfway around the world and you just got done beating up a division opponent and holding Dalvin Cook to 35 yards or whatever they did, there's going to be a bit of a hangover component. I just look at it like this. Let's pump the brakes on Barry and Gruden. I'm not saying the, the Raiders are a playoff team. Um, I think let's just maybe dial back the memes. Um and I think let's give uh, let's give Mike Mayock credit because again you're seeing these guys show up. They draft this year. Renfro, uh, third leading receiver, Max Crosby again looked good. Farrell, I think it's it's incomplete. They signed a guy yesterday, Mayoa. I don't even know how to say his name. He had eight pressures and 24 snaps. Like they've got some guys that are showing up that they brought in. The Raiders right now are the sixth seed in the AFC. So I don't know if you were talking them up, even realizing. By the way, the the. The WDE is is the white defensive end for those that may not know and how to play along. Yeah. Is there something in the CBA where every team, like you're never allowed more than one white edge guy? Well, no, but I did tell um I did tell one of my favorite coaches in Philly um that we had too many white linebackers. Um the first day I got I got there, I mean, we're out on the field and listen. You can have a few, but there's like a threshold. You can't have more than three. We can't and be Stanford four, 10 years ago. If you get to four, you're not going to make the playoffs. One time I was the only white, or I was one of six white guys in the front seven when we went up to to Green Bay to play A-Rod. And uh, how did that work out? You just go back and look look for that game in 2010, I believe it was. We we heard a lot of go, pack go. But I do think there's a limit. I told the the Eagles that they should probably adjust that quota. And they did, and we won a Super Bowl. I mean, they, they didn't take my advice. One of the guys was a casualty in camp, but um, yeah, there are quotas. They were like, all right, so tell, take t- less of our area guys out of the Mountain West. Is that what you're telling us? Like, <laughs> I, don't okay. know where they're, I don't know where these guys are coming from, just straight out of the cornfields. Uh, and having a few, is, it's, a good, it's, it's a good thing to have, but you can't have four. You can't have four linebackers. Okay, yeah, I'll just leave it. At, I'll leave it at that. Okay, so you know I didn't have the Bears back in the playoffs, and it had much more to do with Trubisky. I don't, I don't just look at stats defensively because there's teams that I look at personnel wise where I just worry about some of these teams that have all this defensive personnel, like Chicago does, and you know whether it's your boy, which may have been the best nickname of the weekend. I don't want to take it from you, but go ahead. Which guy? The Bears quarterback. Oh. Oh, yeah, Chase Daniel Dimes. For a few minutes there, he was looking like Chase Daniel. Danny Dimes, is that's already copyrighted. But there's yeah. room for Chase Daniel Dimes. And I think that the way he's played in spots so far, we might be giving him a nickname before the end of the year. Not sure about that. That last throw was just atrocious from him. I mean, It was, it was so bad. bad. It reeked of a bad miscommunication. But he made some nice throws earlier. And listen, like in the conversation of Chicago and what it means and, and, and what it means this year and beyond, in 2020, you're letting Trubisky walk, right? I've seen nothing that tells me um, anything else other than that. And, and I think it's very obvious. The thing that I've, I've said the whole time, and I don't pretend to understand all the schemes as, as well as 
all the guys that played and everything. But to me, it's it's so ridiculously obvious how little faith the coaching staff has in, in Trubisky at times with the stuff that they dial up for him. And when it looks like it's working, it's like everybody. But you don't want to have to sit there and hold the guy's hand year three and year four into this whole thing. So my Bears thing is more about him than it is a defense that you're disappointed about and losing to a Raiders team that actually is a little bit better than people realize. You know what? Actually, the Raiders are a lot better than people realize. Like if you told a lot of people, I'm sure people are going, wait yeah. a minute, they're the sixth seed technically today right now in the AFC? Like that, I thought they everybody were hated thinking, them. Yeah, they were thinking, and part of it was, you know, people, the confirmation bias of not liking Gruden and Absolutely. undervaluing Mayock because he's a TV guy and, you know, we love to, we just know him as saying people have bubble butts and not making picks. I mean, like, this guy's got a good mind for it and Gruden's been a football coach who's had success some places. Now, was he overrated? Yeah, but sometimes we overcorrect when we think somebody's overrated and we just shit on them all day. And here they are with three wins uh, at this point in the season. And I think for the Bears in 2021, they're going to have to hit on a quarterback while still trying to win, and that's tough. So, uh, you know, as far as the trade's concerned, it's hard to ever ever argue that somebody wins or loses this trade um, because the winner might not win at all, and the window might pass because you've got a quarterback who you're not sure about right now. I'm sure when the... Raiders made that trade, though, and they're getting those two firsts from the Bears. They're thinking they're not going to be picking where Josh Jacobs goes. They're going to be picking a lot higher. But you're right. A lot of the anti-Raider no. stuff was was anti-John, the money, you know, seeming outdated. But I'm not ready to start doing that because Mac, on certain nights, you're like, I would it'd be so much fun when it's rolling to be like, I get to watch this guy on my team every single Sunday because I think he's that special. So speaking of defense. The Patriots defense here is putting together a run historically that we just we don't see. So I'm going to beat you over the head here with a couple historical anecdotes. Is that all right? Yeah, I love them. They're not even anecdotes. I'm going to assault me with the anecdotes. Yeah, no, they're not anecdotes because that would take too long. The Pats are the third team in NFL history to average 30 plus a game on offense while averaging or excuse me, allowing fewer than seven per game through the first five games of the season. The other two teams. The 1920 and 21 Buffalo All-Americans just they were an good. absolute powerhouse. Fuck, they were one of the best teams in America. Right, so just 100 years ago, almost. Um, they're plus 121 point differential so far this season for the Pats. Second best scoring margin through five games since the merger in 1970, trailing only the 99 Rams, who were outscoring opponents by 123, so they're almost equal there. The Ravens' defense of 2000 is the greatest defense I've ever seen. I was not old enough for the 85 Bears. That Tampa defense that won later on with Sapp and Booger and those guys, historically, that really is, I, I would say, statistically for one year, that Tampa defense deserves more credit. I think when Warren Sapp was like, now you're going to put us up there with everybody else, and it's like, okay, do you? But still, that Ravens' defense, and think about this. The Pats have allowed 34 points through five games. The Ravens allowed 55 points through five games and that was with three shutouts <laughs> they actually gave yeah. up like 36 to jacksonville so i'm not calling this pats defense the 2000 ravens but is it really this good historically or are we looking at the opponents that they played and saying this is a little misleading well you got to be careful how the ringer chops this up for twitter because some people might think that you're making the claim that they're better than the 85 bears and the ravens which I'm i not. do not think they are I don't think they are either. I don't even know that they're the best in the league, and this isn't sliding them because I don't know that if if Chicago has the same offensive efficiency and complementary football to work with, that they're not just as good at this point statistically. Their only common opponent when you look at the Bears and the Pats are the 
team in Washington. And, um, you know, they gave up 15 uh, in Chicago and they gave up seven with New England. So um, two different quarterbacks is hard to even control for that, you know, McCoy and, and Keenum. But when you look at New England, Pittsburgh, they hold the three with Roethlisberger, who they've owned generally, but that was a bit of an outlier from a lack of, of, of uh, production standpoint on Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's end. Dolphins and Fitzy, they shut him out. Jets and Falk, they gave up 14, but there were some special teams defensive touchdowns Special teams in there. and a pick, yeah. So, I mean, that's yeah. the weird thing. You'd shave another 14 off for the defense. Yep, and, and, the, and the Bills with Allen, who, again, we're going down the line here. I don't know that there's a lot of – Great names here, and then they they just beat McCoy. There so there, it's okay. You can say it. That schedule that they played against those teams suck. The schedule's terrible. The, the schedule's terrible thus far. But all they can do is all they can do, and that's been to dominate their opponents. And as you look at them down the line here, it's not like they have the hardest schedule this year at all. We're going to find out at certain points what they're made of. I look at the Philly game, uh, giving them obviously something they haven't seen all year. From a standpoint of Deshaun's healthy, healthy, they can take the top off the defense. They've got tight ends who can play. They've got hopefully a running game established in the best offensive line or one of them in football. So um, I just think it's an interesting conversation, Bears and Pats, because they're so different in what they have on offense. They're so different on how they play schematically and how they're built defensively. If I went through the personnel on the Pats' defense and we just say the front. How many guys do you think you take from the Bears versus how many guys you take from the? You want to pull up the depth charts? Yeah, you can. Um, I'll just say this in general. I think it's going to be a few. I mean, you're talking about guys up front. The two tackles are playing really well in 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 uh, Chicago. Obviously, there's Khalil Mack. There's Floyd, who's come on, who I know they weren't as crazy about, but he's really showed out this year. Yeah, he was a little um, slow after like looking so good at Georgia, but now when I watch him, it feels like the guy that I saw at Georgia. Yeah, dude's an avatar, bro. He's got so much talent and potential, and yes. rushing next to Mac doesn't hurt. I mean, I think when you look at their front, the thing you have to look at in New England, the guys who are the straw that stirs the drink, if you will, are the cats in the back end. Uh, the New England guys in the back end are really great. So they're, they're their kind of leadership position group, although the linebackers are very good, but there's nobody better in the back end. The deficit between the New England back end and the Bears back end, it's there, but with guys like Fuller, Eddie Jackson, they still have really good guys on the back end in Chicago. The deficit between the on-the-ball guys in New England and Chicago is larger than that deficit on the back end, um, on the other hand. At linebacker, they're different bodies. They're different types of players. Trevathan and Smith... They're like missiles. Um, and if you're counting Mac and Floyd as backers, whatever, they're not really. They're, they're DNs. Um, and, and in New England, you've got big bruising guys like Hightower and Collins, who's built like a DN but has the skill set of a backer. So it's an interesting conversation. I think the, the, closest, the closest comparisons in the second level and then, you know, the third level, the Patriots own that. And in the first level, the Bears are um, by far better. Pats fan is going to argue it's the system, it's the system, it's the system. I'll take the Pats defense. Um, it's been incredible. The stats are out of control, but personnel-wise, I don't think there's much dispute, at least along that front. And the, the secondary for the Bears is actually better than you – know, we spend so much time talking about those guys up front, but you're right. When it's when it's Fuller, when it's Jackson, Clinton Dix comes over, 
Um, yep. Morrow's on the other side. So, But you said it. The coach gives them a huge edge. And so if you're looking at this, D-line, I got the Bears by a lot. Linebacker, it's a question mark for me. DBs, you got New England, but it's not as, as sizable a deficit. And coaching, you totally have New England there. Um, I just think I just think that's where you give them the edge. So at this point, even though it's incomplete, I'm not going to disrespect the Pats and say the Bears are better, but I'd like to see them play some people. No problem. I want to talk about our – we actually have race, weed, and breaking news to oh. still do, okay? So don't, you don't have to get prepped up yet. Um, but let's have a little bit of fun here. I got some people upset already this morning. I don't normally do this, or I thought it was a little bit more obvious. After the Jay Gruden firing, I was like, man, if you're a Rams fan, you got to worry about McVay wanting to go home, which is a play a little bit on mm. Durant going home to the Wizards. Uh, which obviously did not happen, and McVeigh in a million years would never leave the Rams. I wouldn't think to go to the Washington think. Redskins, and he's not even from there, so that's that's another issue altogether. Uh, I think Ma- I think Malibu and Ashburn, they're a little different. Debatable. We'll just hey, you know what? We'll let people decide. You know, you can take that yeah, one in any direction. Exactly. But hockey season just got underway. You met a bunch of the hockey buddies out here when you came to visit for Willie Nelson. All the all yes. the dudes. So the Kings. Shout out to the L.A. Kings and and all those guys. But shout, uh, you're big a big shout out to the Kings. You're a big social media guy when it comes to the NHL. Well, I love the NHL and I love the NHL season not only because my favorite team won the Stanley Cup over the Boston Bruins. Just you know, out hustled them, out toughed them, all that stuff. Um, Come on. Relax. Hey, can I finish here, man? You know, I was talking about the Blues. Uh, but I love hockey season because I get to troll hockey fans and I get to tweet. Like historically, I like to, I like to tweet about, you know, and elicit that kind of reaction from hockey Twitter, which is a really rough place. Uh, you know, like last year I said, hey, uh, guys, I'm turning on the Stanley Cup. Guys take too many breaks in hockey. Shift changes constantly. For instance, last night LeBron played the entire game. I'd rather watch Grinders. <laughs> So I got a lot of visceral reactions. A um, few verified accounts calling me idiots. Mike Salk, 710 ESPN, the Mike Salk, said this is one of the worst takes I've ever seen from a pro athlete. Jen Royal, uh, Jen underscore Royal, what in the hell? Guarantee most NFL players couldn't skate a two-minute shift. This is brutal. What if you don't Jen's know how to skate? a great skate? point. Yeah, right. Jen's got a great point. You win. That's the fucking point. So, point taken. Um, I absolutely got crushed by verified and unverified counts alike. I would. Can we send out a couple hockey troll tweets right now? Um, my tech right now at the at the compound is all over the place, but I I promise to send one out tonight. I'll throw on a hockey game on one of the other TVs. And I'll send something out. Maybe that could be our thing where we send out. Ter- but the funny thing is, like, both you and I really love the sport. And I only have so much time. And especially when this NBA thing gets started in a couple of weeks, like, I just don't have time to do it. I just, I just don't. But I'm, I'm down for sending out a hockey tweet. You can you do don't one have now. time you- to troll hockey Twitter? I just don't right now. I'm trying to host one of the biggest podcasts in the country. How do you troll NBA Twitter? Because um, NBA Twitter is, like, it's a very smart group. They like to tell you. No, see, that's the part of it. But if there's a younger. I saw that tweet the other day. I sent it out during prime NFL stuff. I couldn't help myself. This younger dude, when Markel Fultz hit like a seven foot turnaround 
and I, he has to be a magic fan or covers the magic or something. And he just said, unless he was joking, because I just did it with the McVeigh thing. But he was like, I thought you guys, whenever somebody does look like, I thought y'all said he was a bust. I thought y'all mm. said he couldn't shoot. And I go, oh, I think this guy's being straw serious man. with the y'alls. And well, yeah. that's not a straw man. Everyone has called him a bust. Everyone has said he can't shoot. And I watched Fultz's video of him shooting around the other day. And it's still, oh, looks you're terrible. talking about faults. Oh, you're talking about faults. Yeah. Yeah. Who'd you think I was talking about? I, I, I misheard you. I was actually typing out my Clay Matthews breaking See? his jaw tweet. That, that's why it's why I didn't yeah, want to tweet. Can't multitask. I didn't want to do a hockey. Yeah. This is a content. Okay. Well, so man. let me read you mine. I'm going to hit send right now. Saw Clay Matthews break his jaw playing the Seahawks last Thursday. He walked off under his own power. Never seen a hockey player actually walk off after a broken jaw. You're going to get killed. Okay. Tweet. You might not be able to allow... You, some of the Canadian guys on the Kings might not know that you're kidding. <laughs> well, I'll see him at that bar. Okay. Whatever bar we like to go to with him. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, it's already right. got one like. <laughs> Count um, the likes throughout the rest of the podcast. So it's sent. Uh, what's right. next besides Great. trolling hockey Twitter? Do you want to do white running backs or do you want to do Percy Harvin? Let's do let's do them both, man. Okay. Well, let's start with white running backs. And the reason I want to start with white running backs is we didn't know if we wanted to do this blind or a little research. And I know you're a research guy, so I was like, all right, I got to make sure that that I stay here with the research. And as soon as I typed in white running backs NFL history, the first hit came up was James White, which I thought was just comical. <laughs> he is. Yeah, I just Googled it. It's got like, we've got Peyton Hillis, Mike Allstott, McCaffrey, and then James White in the biggest picture just smiling. <laughs> like, yeah, James White. Like, what? what's yeah. that shit about? So Googling this is off of the, smart. the Christian McCaffrey stuff who, you know, what he's been able to do here, his total yards, another 200-plus yards from the line of scrimmage game uh, and their win against Jacksonville. And, you know, the running back not being paid, we've done it a million times, but I just – I rarely think there's ever a running back that can carry a team offensively. And Adrian Peterson did that with that Vikings team one year where they won 11 games and they went to the playoff. And I was like, this is unbelievable what this team is doing. It actually feels like McCaffrey could kind of do that. Carolina's defense is good. We don't know with Kyle Allen. There's There's been a bit of a correction on a bunch of these younger guys, I think, which is another segment altogether, but I'll wait on that one. But yeah, this is all off the McCaffrey stuff. So how many of these guys do you think you could have named, though, before you researched it? Well, according to Ranker.com. Ranker. What which, a great site. Which is, the, which is the only source for sorting out rankings. <laughs> Hashtag ad. Where's my yeah, check, right. Ranker.com? I didn't um, even want to give them the love. Yeah, they're going to like overrank me on, on the white DNs list um, at this point because I've gave them a plug. McCaffrey, they have it one. Bit premature? It feels a little, pre but, you know, I don't know. I don't feel like digging in. I didn't know I was going to do a big spreadsheet on John Riggin and, and Zonka's stats here compared to McCaffrey, but it, it feels a little quick for him to be now well, already. I know this. Yeah. I know that the football life on John Riggins would be infinitely better than the one on McCaffrey, and I don't know anything about McCaffrey. I just know John R Riggins was hilarious and uh, really poignant football life. There's obviously Zonka here, Mike Allstott, who really has that – white fullback vibe more than the running back vibe, but um, Red Grange, Danny Woodhead. 
Remember Peyton Hillis' good his Peyton Hillis's good year? Yeah, that was unbelievable. Um, the fact that that Danny Woodhead is already this high, it tells you that this has been this has been something that's been going on for a long time. I mean, I don't know if they're going to do a twenty twenty on this. How is Rex Burkhead already the eighth best white running back of all time? I'm not sure. I'm really not that sure. That seems high. I don't know how he's. How is he a better running back than Tom Rathman? And how do we just? How is are either of those guys making me over overvalue Rathman? No, because I feel like Rathman. You know, it just wasn't quantifiable. Like sabermetrics are not kind to Rathman historically. That's, what, That's just my guess. Yeah, Peyton. Okay, so let me ask you this. I'm going down the list. Who was the only white running back to be on the Madden cover? It was him. Yeah, it was him. That's it. I gave that it was away. A really, the, yeah, I feel like you gave that one away a little bit. Yeah, but who else could it be? I mean, CMC uh, could be the next one. He could be. By the way, I don't like how you just glossed over Baton Rouge's Jim Taylor. I'm sorry. I know he's more I call Peyton Hillis the mini fridge because he's smaller than the fridge and he's white because are you surprised toby gerhardt the white rhino didn't have more of a career man one time i tackled toby gerhardt like square up in the hole and my fucking ac joint hurt i'll just give him that respect i mean that dude ran hard um yeah toby gerhardt they have at 17 keeping it alive got a few names in here that's good that was good much better than the white corner list Jim Taylor had four straight years of a thousand plus yards, you know, and they got, and then they have Rex Burkhead three spots behind him. I don't, yeah, I don't understand. Ranker, get your shit together. Actually, I'm pulling back my endorsement. I can't wait until you text me later tonight and you're like, have you checked out the best dramas on Ranker? (laughs) You're going to be all over. That's going to be your new homepage. The, the undefeated, yes, the Panthers' Christian McCaffrey is a white running back and a good one, too. We still don't know how to talk about white running backs. We don't. My column. Percy Harvin was in the news. Is, um not a player. And, you know, I don't, I don't know Percy. I've never met him. You can tell us, Chris, if, if you've met him or not. I actually thought he was always this incredibly overrated thing that everybody would be like, oh, but, but if we get Percy Harvin in there, like it's going to be amazing and we're going to do this stuff. And Seattle, who had that amazing run of – putting together this great team personnel-wise, all these great trades, great evaluation, and then they gave up all these assets for Harvin. Um, he just he just wasn't – look, he had the, the headache thing, but he never, ever paid off for a bunch of years there, except for like maybe one with Minnesota where it felt like, hey, it's all worth this stuff. But he said that he was high for every game he played in his eight-year career and that he did it for his own maintenance and to avoid – opiate addiction and we're we're much more open to all these com- kinds of conversations i know once you retired you said hey man i smoked weed and it, that turned into a bunch of different branches of kinds of discussions so when you read these comments and saw this stuff with harvin what was your reaction i mean i wasn't surprised when i talked about um cannabis somebody taught me don't don't say weed or a drug anymore because it's medicine it's cannabis which is going to ruffle your feathers i think i know where we're going on this but I do think that for some people, cannabis is medicine. And for some people, they enjoy it. And for that same person, there could be a functionality for both at different times of the day, for different things for their job. You know, when somebody says, like, I have general anxiety or, you know, 
whatever. Um, I'm going to take them at their word for that. And so Percy sounds like he had some, some anxiety issues that it really helped him with, especially on game day. Um, I think in general, we talk about it in a lot of different ways. We talk about it from a pain management standpoint. We talk about it from an insomnia standpoint, which for me was, was the big one, which in turn helps me from a stress standpoint and a recovery standpoint. So it's multifaceted in the way it's helped me. But I know that it kind of bothers you sometimes that people seem to abuse the pain management aspect. Um, we, we might be more aligned here. First of all, you know me well enough to know that I don't really care what anybody does. I, I really don't. Um, I mean, to a yeah. point. So don't let's not turn this into something as if I'm endorsing just deviant behavior all over the place. But when a guy like Josh Gordon, who and have you met Josh Gordon? Uh, I've played against him. Yeah. Met him twice. Hung out with he. I forget if it was his brother or if it was his buddy. He's so incredibly likable. Like you immediately are like, I love this dude. And now that we've seen him healthy and, and playing again, especially at the beginning of this year, you realize like this is why this dude's gotten a million chances. And I'm all for him getting as many chances as any team wants to give him. Like I'm never going to get mad at a team going, hey, we gave Josh Gordon another chance here. But Josh, you know, somebody who kept screwing up. And when you come out and say, hey, I used it for maintenance. I made sure I passed all the tests, which I also again, to remind it I like to get high, though. Yeah. What's that? I also used it because I like to get high, though, too. True, but I think there's some part of this discussion where, like, I've been around guys that are really high, and I wouldn't want them playing football on Sunday. So I don't know if it's everybody doing anxiety and um, body maintenance and trying to find ways to just have it be almost, I don't want to call it a PED, but some kind of supplement that helps their performance versus you know there's a ton of dudes in the league that would just love to get as high as fuck before a game and not give a shit and i don't well, know that i don't I'd know want that, that guy you, playing yeah. with me i don't know that if you open the if you allow people to smoke it's like players can drink alcohol right now now most aren't out drinking booze before games like so it's not like if you allow you know access or a lack of you know guidelines or a drug test for players and it goes away that a bunch of guys are going to be just baked on game day i think for some guys it might help um i don't know and again like i've tried to just speak for myself because i'm not a dry snitch i'm not talking about the rest of the league but i do know this i wouldn't want to play high but for some guys i know that it it's okay and percy alluded to that and so I do think that in general, it should just be enough that it's not harmful to our performances and it's not harmful to our personal lives, our family lives, and it's relatively harmless for your body compared to a lot of the things that we're allowed to do as football players. And that should be enough. Now, the pain management stuff, you know, the insomnia, you know, for me, not having to take a sleeping pill anymore when I played, um, which was getting a little out of control, um, dangerous stuff trading that in for cannabis um, on a more regular basis, that's great. But I also like to eat a candy and go watch, you know, space movies and shit. Um, I also like to listen to music when I'm high. You know, there's a lot of stuff I like to do when I'm high, and I don't think there's anything wrong with being happy, you know? Uh, so at the end of the day, I, I think it's enough that it's just not harmful and we should stop fighting over it. For NFL players, we're not talking about federally legalizing it. Let's just talk about it's not harmful to players' careers. 
We are in total agreement on that one. But what I don't yeah. like that happens, and this happens specifically you know, to me because I'm doing this podcast with you and people know that we're buddies, but you come out and say, hey, I used, I used to help, but I also used it recreationally, whatever, okay? And then it's like, well, how come he never failed the test? And it's like, well, because the test is one day, and if you can't figure out how to get your shit together prior to that test, then you're not smart enough to know how to get away with it. You knew how to get away with it, all right? You knew how to do it. But Which, by the way, people have an issue with that, too. There's people that have applauded me talking about it as if I need their affirmation, but have also been like, well, don't give them the whole game plan. I'm like, the fucking game plan is public. There's been articles about this for, for years. years now. Me, like, It's not like I'm like, it's not like me saying that I smoked is going to get the league to now enact 10 drug tests a year. It's not how it works. Not at yeah, this I, juncture. I don't have any problem with person because I wasn't around them. I don't know them. I'm just... I don't like how everybody wants to put it all into a category, right? So you say what you said, and then it's like, oh, okay, but Josh Gordon's sitting at home right now. And you go, do you want to read through Josh Gordon's timeline and tell me it's the same thing? Do you want to? Well, it's, because it's not. You don't... Any, anybody, that, right. yeah. Any, anybody that can't do their homework or doesn't know, you know the landscape and does the kind of you know, the uh, false comparison thing, you know, it, just, it just doesn't fit. It doesn't work. Um, I do think, though, that that I have a lot of hopefulness that the league's going to get this right eventually. I, I, I do think that, and I think the more players are talking out, the more it's normalized, and guys that you think... The reason I said something is, one, because I was asked directly, listen, I don't think... People said to me they were shocked that I smoked weed. I'm like, bro, I, I would build, like, dioramas with, mini, with miniature figures and put them on Instagram, bro. What did you think I was doing when I was doing that? <laughs> Like, go back and read through my tr my tweets about movies or music or, like, maybe my tastes um, and things that I've alluded to. I didn't feel like I was announcing it for the first time, but I guess to a lot of people that was a big deal. And they also hijacked the headline. Even the people that are supposed to be on my team, cannabis advocates. That's why I'm very wary of anybody who's who's dedicated to one thing because they— the headline they ran with was Chris Long uses it for pain management, which I never said once. I said, I know some guys might use it for pain management. I use it for insomnia and I like to get high. But on both ends of the spectrum, it's been badly hijacked. And now the thing that's annoying as shit is everywhere I go, fans are like, yo, can we, can we light one up, bro? Like, when are we going to burn one down? Like, you know, are you high right now? Like, no, smoking is something I do. It's not my life. Like, and that's the problem when a player comes out and talks about it, we know we're not at a point yet where we're over it when even the people that applaud you think it's your entire life, like you're Cheech and Chong. Yeah, I've said this to you many times. I don't I don't have a problem with any of this stuff. No, I know. There's guys that are like, and now it seems more important if you wake up every day and your goal in life is the legalization of cannabis, okay? But there were guys that I met back in Vermont in the 90s who were like super into weed guy. And it wasn't just to get high, but they want to tell you about the rights. And be like, George Washington grew hemp, bro. And you would yeah. just be like, I don't know, man. Like, I got other shit going on. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. You read man. a lot of George Washington books. I knew that Was back that in true? the 90s. And then, you know, that wasn't, he was actually terrible. He had, he had multiple crops. He tried to diversify his crops constantly. And he just... He'd have bad rain seasons, but I don't want to get into the whole George Washington agriculture chapter. We'll do. And that we've done time. it. We've gotten into the George Washington thing, but evidently he was he he had a he had a grow house. Yeah, not exactly a green thumb though.
is what I'm telling you. The crops were a constant issue with him, and he was always traveling to different farms, trying to learn new farm technology to try to get better crop turnover. But the guy was busy running our army and our country. And I'll tell you, when George got a little bit older, he resented the fact that he did not have more cash because he loved to spend. George Washington was a shopaholic. And there was this kind of resentment thing that he had where he would, at the end of this, he's like, my crops sucked. I got to sell off some of these parcels of land. And I did run the country here, like in a really important era. Like I wasn't just running. Yeah. It like so the- did they, did it slow him down that he was, he was, he was chiefing? George Washington was chiefing. He had a, he had a vape pen when he crossed the Delaware. No, Not, nothing, almost- cut with, no, nothing cut with vitamin E. He had the pure Bloom Farms. Shout out to Bloom Farms. I feel like his hemp growing wasn't exactly because he was handing out bags to guys in the front lines to calm their nerves before, you know, sitting up there in Dorchester. So oh, I would de- I would definitely need like like a gram if I was going to be charging a musket line. Like, fuck that. You don't With just no die. Gun. You die slow. Some of the guys running from Dorchester were uh, like, they're like, hey, we're out of guns. So here's a rake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no chance, bro. So George Washington, is there another president that you think might I'm going with the fact that he was ahead. I mean, you can tell me it was just it was hemp. There's really not that much documentation. Um I'm sure somebody can find something on Google that that spins but I just read like the definitive Washington book earlier this year. And the other thing too is that, you know, everybody made the the joke about Washington being the father of our country because of all of his sexual escapades. He likely was sterile. He never had his own children, and I think he was a massive flirt, and there may have been a couple takedowns on the side, but I it's don't... because the marijuana did it. The devil's did lettuce it? did it. It fried his, <laughs> his, his, his reproductive <laughs> Yeah, oh, I don't... Fuck. I really don't think he smoked as much as everybody wants to make him out to be. I, I just... Unless, okay, unless... so, so, so president, president besides Washington, who was real heady, it, on, uh, undercover heady. Taft. Oh, really? Taft? Didn't uh, Homeboy smoke opium, um, Grant? No, Grant. Grant had a... I read the Grant one, too. I really ended up loving Grant after the book. But he was the kind of guy that... Like, he wouldn't drink for a long time. And then he'd have, like, one drink. He'd have, like, wine at dinner. And you just wouldn't, like, off the rails for three days. Because he was drunk once? No, like one one sip of... We saw that. We saw that in Forgetting Sarah Marshall with with Russell Brand's character where, you know, look, you can can read about it and and I'm I'm not trying to diminish people's, uh, anyone's issue with anything. But yeah, Grant, if he had a sip, three-day bender, guaranteed. Man, that'd be be almost kind of cool. Maybe not the second time. In the Maradona documentary, they were like, you know, we'd go out after the game, and then Diego says one of the answers, he goes, yeah, so then we went out that night, and we, you know, we did some coke, and we were drinking, he goes, and then it was Wednesday. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of how it goes. Uh, So basically, uh, Grant was like the anti-Andre the Giant, because Andre the Giant could fucking drink like 85 beers, bro. Equal in stature, not physically, but whatever Grant's stature was, um, he made up for it. Grant's, um, 
that's why I sent you the Grant biography because I think you would really dig his his. I, one of my favorite things about going back and reading these books is you that you sent me was, a big ass book, bro. That was the Grant that book. book is a thousand pages. Yeah, it's a heavy book. Yeah, have a gummy and I'm, get through that instead of building figures. Plugging away. If I have a gummy, I'm gonna be. They're gonna be talking about like you know, I don't know. It's gonna be take me a while. So. The reason I, I bring up Grant and even more so Washington, because I know that that you kind of vibe with this a little bit. And, you know, growing up, I didn't know this stuff. But, you know, when you talk about slavery and you think, oh, well, in the 1700s, everybody thought this way and it's just the way it is. And there are some truth, I believe, in the sensibilities of the time. But there were people in the 1700s going, this is atrocious, mm -hmm. the way that we're just um, treating other human beings. And Grant from like, day one had that mindset and the way he and Lincoln, the chapters with Grant and Abraham Lincoln, just like finding a soul partner in a way like that stuff's really yeah. cool. So anyway, I got to um, check the these books out, man. Cause yeah, I mean, shout out to John Brown. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Two more things. Can I get two more things? And then we'll, we'll yeah. say goodbye today. I want to talk a little bit about the Jalen Ramsey thing. Because he's not coming back from everything I've heard. So this is a little bit of insider stuff, a little bit like the Belichick-Antonio uh, Brown contract where that got picked up by another NFL writer about a week after we did it here on the pod. But Jalen Ramsey is bouncing. From what I've heard is that his... his Well, he's, let me put it this way. He's saying he's not going to play for the team. These can be seen as threats. From what I've heard is his agent is not considered an empty threat guy and that Ramsey just hates Tom Coughlin for whatever documented reasons or reasons we don't fully understand because there's always more to this than we would know. I'm not taking sides here on that part of the argument because I don't know enough about it. But Ramsey hates Coughlin, doesn't want to play for him again, is saying he's never going to play for him again. And so other teams are trying to figure out what the price is. Now, I know Schefter said something about the Jags saying we wouldn't do it for five first-rounders. I do not believe that. I think that that's hyperbole. But there's been a couple teams that have offered a first and other good picks. There's one team that's offering up a first that I just think is irresponsible considering how bad they are. But I have a problem with the Jalen part of this where, hey, if the trade doesn't happen before the deadline, are players, is it totally cool to just say, you know, I got to take care of my business and I'm bailing on this season? Like, is, do you do you look at that? Or I know everybody is different. I thought the Vontae yeah. Davis thing was weird that at halftime of the Bills game, he's like, I'm out of here, and he's almost revered for it a year later as people were revisiting some of that stuff. I don't know that I'll ever get to a point. I know I've evolved on different things where I go, two years ago, three years ago, this bothered me. Now it doesn't bother me. It's, I'm actually finding less stuff bothering me as I get older, which is good. But it, there's still just a part of being a team that maybe is old school with me, and I don't right now I don't like this Jalen Ramsey story is my point. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, we've overcorrected um, from a standpoint of, you know, the players always have to be right. And sometimes players are wrong, but this seems interpersonal. You know, this is a guy that plays hard when he's in the game. Uh, he's not some, you know, you can call him a diva off the field if you want to make that argument for some of the way this has transpired or some media stuff. But he doesn't play like a diva on the field. Um, guys in Jacksonville like him. I think there's an issue with authority. I think there's an issue with kind of like that over the top old school, like meaningless authority that like maybe Coughlin's going to, you know, when you, when you, 
when you play for Coughlin, you got to worry about like tucking your shirt in, your socks being the right color, you know, little minutia and details that have kind of been outgrown in the everyday new, new NFL. You know, you're hearing about guys getting cell phone breaks in meetings. You know, Ramsey's not the type that's going to adapt to that situation. So I think that he's the type that will fight authority on little stuff. I think he's better off in a place, in a program, in a culture that there's some selective leeway. Um, having said that, if I'm a teammate, I understand the standpoint of if I'm done, I'm done. And it's not like basketball where I can trot out the rest of the season with a lower injury, um, op- with, a, with a lower chance of being injured and my livelihood being affected. But if he knows that he's done uh, going out there, it takes one play to end his career. It's, it's, it's a delicate thing with football. I would say this. I would say that if you're Jacksonville and you're a coach or you're a front office guy, the thing as a player you always heard after tough games was if you don't want to be here, leave. Okay. So this guy is telling you explicitly he doesn't want to be here. And I understand you got to get value for him, but there's a message in saying that somebody who desperately wants to be gone, we don't let him leave. I mean, what do you think about that ju- juxtaposition? Well, um, you know, I don't like when people say, hey, why should the player honor his contract? They don't honor theirs. I think that's so stupid because it's like, look, when you sign a contract, most of you guys should know, hey, after year three, these are all fake years anyway. So, you know, it's the way they manipulate the cap. It's the way the language in these things works. And when you sign a six-year deal and you actually think you're getting six years worth of money if you're anybody other than the quarterback, and even the quarterback gets it reworked, like that's kind of a dumb thing. Uh, Am I old school in thinking that, you know, most of us have to work for somebody else, you know? Like, if I had that many issues with ESPN, um, and we all have our issues. Like, I don't care what you do for a job. You can find a way to not enjoy it there. I've never felt like I've ever had a job that was important enough than trying to go out and win games on Sunday. And Yes, but you've also th- never had a different. job that was dangerous enough to cut your earnings off for the rest of your life. So if you go in to do a pod for a network you don't like, there's no, there's not going to be like a car that's going to drive into your window and like, and break your legs and then you can't do pods anymore. Like, I frame for a couple winners, and, though. You could, yeah, you could frame. I was framing for a little bit <laughs> on the vineyard. Winter. Uh, in the winter, yeah, it's rough too. A lot of like orange ski masks and you know, camo jackets. Um, yeah, I would say that. I would say that you have to take into account with football that the risk factor is higher. If you're not happy, you trot out there and hurt yourself. Now, I've also been one that's played hurt, shot things up, you know, fought through injuries. Those two years I was on IR, I shouldn't have been out there. If I was protective of myself even the least bit, you know, things might have been different for me. Um, and I was on some really bad teams. I never, I never shut it down. I played with a lot of guys who were in bad situations on bad teams. They never shut it down. The tide is changing in the NFL, though where there's more autonomy. I don't know what I'd be like if I were in my prime and I was on a team where I really didn't get along with the front office and I perceived that we weren't very good. Another thing that helps though right now in Jacksonville is that they're playing well. And so there's a sense of, hey, if you don't want to be on board here, you can just jump off. But that compared with how they're actually handling it, which is not dumping him, uh, that, that's, that goes counter to the whole, if you don't like being here, then leave. All right. Uh, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think we're seeing eye to eye on this one. I just, I just don't. 
Um, you just, yeah, you're just, you're just more, you're just more like, listen, like I'm saying a lot here, but what I'm saying is I wouldn't do it like Jalen's doing, but I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. But the difference between if you don't like it, you can leave with the caveat. If we think you're really good and we don't want to give you up for an asset collection, that's less than your value because Jacksonville still looks at him as a generational talent, a corner, which is, which is a generational talent who said he's not going to play for you anymore. So at the end of the day, it's like, what would you take for him? I heard the Eagles offered a first and a second, but that Jacksonville was hesitant because they think the Eagles are going to end up having a good season here and it'd be better off. Like I can't believe a bad team would offer a first knowing how irresponsible that could end up being. Because who knows? I mean, maybe you're Steelers. You make some, yeah, I mean, that Steelers pick may come back to haunt them. And they're one and four. And we didn't put them in the suck tier because I still respect the talent level of that team a little bit. Um but yeah, you go trade for 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 the kid. Uh, who, who'd they who'd they get down there? Uh, Fitzpatrick, Minka, who's made yeah. a difference evidently. But your pick's going to be. I think that's the hubris of like thinking, hey, we're good enough to make this move. Like you're not. You're going to be a top pick, and you might be staring a quarterback change in the next two three years in the face. And like you lose your opportunity to do an A Rod thing, to pick somebody up and let them learn under Ben for a couple of years. You know, I don't know where 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 their holes are, but they're they're gonna have one less opportunity. And yeah, who's gonna trade for Jalen Ramsey and give up two top picks to win now and actually be bad? So that's the whole thing. But see, I think there is a team that is trying to do that, which it, again, it it sounds crazy to me. Okay, before we say goodbye here, because we get a wrap. You mentioned before, I've been a huge Sturgill Simpson fan here now for a couple weeks. You're going to see him. Where are you going to see him tonight? Because I was looking at his tour thing, and he's got a few dates, and then he's headed overseas a little bit later this year and into next year. So where's tonight's show? I am seeing him in D.C., so I'm going to go up and and uh, check him out up there. I've seen him before. This will be a smaller spot. He's doing this, like, special forces thing. So, like, he's uh, there's a foundation that works with special forces uh, guys, and, and uh, it's going to benefit that foundation, I believe. So cool little intentional touring by Sturge. Obviously his album has brought in a lot of uh, newcomers on the bandwagon and I'm not going to be that guy. What do you think There's about the bandwagon? Yeah. You're cool with it? I love it. The the bandwagon's cool. You want your favorite people to to thrive. Yeah. And so like I never understand these band people who who get mad because like you didn't listen to his old stuff. You know like it's like that with Outkast. People are like, well, you didn't know them when it was Equemini. I'm like, well, that was their third album, too, by the way. So even though you're trying to be bandwagon, if you were bandwagon, you'd be like a Southern Playalistic and Goody Mob fan. Like, you're actually not bandwagoning hard enough. So, like, people will say, like, well, you, I knew Sailor's Guide to Earth and Meta Modern, but, like, did you know his true country gold album? He's done four different albums. Different music. I was reading about him the other night. I went to a big Sturgill uh, wormhole. He was he was out at IHOP at one point. Do you know that? he was he was working on some railroad thing, and then at some point he was he was waiting tables at IHOP, and then his friends, I think his wife too, they were like, "You got to get back to to doing music." It blows my mind some of the lyrics that that guy has, and he's not that old. He's closer to my age than yours, but when he was writing some of this stuff, and it's funny because well, I remember he's an old you... soul for sure. But his no music, doubt. his music has got an old soul, and like. You know, like I said, this is four different albums that have four different sounds, like from High Top Mountain, which was, like I said, it was like that country gold, 
influence album to this sound and fury which sounds like uh it's got some like mmj riffs in it which i love like you know a lot of reverb and a lot of like i'm no musical expert so if i'm fucking up the words um but it sounds like it's rock and roll it's like it's it was like the black keys at their best like the good black keys it's got a little of that sound amorica whatever is that the best black keys or what are you talking about i loved amorica Okay. Weird I've cover got though. Pretty, that was a weird one to I've have got your a mix. I've got mixed black keys reviews. But yeah, Sturgill's an in- interesting guy. Interesting. Oh, I story thought you said and, black crows. I thought you said black no, crows. I'm talking about black keys and I'm like, I've never heard of that. I'm gonna act like I fucking know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said I think you did say black keys the whole time and I just got I was listening I to Morica the other day. That came out in ninety four, so you probably weren't cranking that one. At least you know your parents. No, in '94, I was cranking like uh, A and my dad's tape deck in our red suburban. He likes Sade. Who doesn't though? And Seal, and Is Seal. It, I liked Seal early on. And Counting Crows. What was an album that reminds you of your childhood? Like you know, driving around with your parents. You got to remember, every summer I was I was on the Bricklaying crew there from like seven until twelve. The and, chain gang, yeah. So that was for me. It was the men at work tape, the cassette case with like the plugs going into the speaker, and then U um, two wore the tape deck. That was big for me. Um, and then Synchronicity when that came out, my father was really excited. We went right over to the local cassette shop and made sure we got the new, the new Police because we were both huge Ghost in the Machine fans. So that's what I think about. I think about. The first impressionable stuff that was happening to me musically was was YouTube Police, and for whatever minute works, not exactly at that tier. <laughs> They're not in the top yeah. tier, but that was uh, that was a big summer from uh, the Men Down Under. I had, uh, if you remember, you remember Tunnel of Love, Bruce Springsteen's eighth studio album. Yeah, that yeah. that's the one for me. Like I said, like when my dad played in the league, like. You know, he made good money, but like one summer made a little more money. We got a boat. We got a boat. We got a cobalt. And uh, we used to be out on the lake in, in Montana in the summer and listen to Tunnel of Love like on repeat on the, uh, I don't think we were in the CD area yet, but uh, Tunnel of Love for me, that's just me and my dad in the boat. I'm sure there were other people there, but it was a real good father-son vibe uh, album. It was always great when you got one of those tape decks that flipped the cassette for you because that was like mind blowing. I don't know if you remember that, what it was like before that used that's to have to big take time. Them out. That was for me. I wasn't. I wasn't the consumer, so I really didn't give a shit as long as, as long as my dad played. Uh, you know that October and everything after and fired that tunnel of love up. Great way to end this one. Uh, you can follow him at Joel Nine One. I'm at Ryan A. Rosillo. Uh, I have a different week planned for some of the podcast stuff, but Chris and I'll be back on Monday. So subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll talk to you in a week.